Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I'm your host, Ken Seymour. Today, we have a producer, an actor, and just an absolute delight with us. We have Samantha Simone. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, I can't I can't tell you how excited I am to talk to you. Uh, we always love speaking to anybody that helps to create the things that distract us from the daily awfulness that is... <laughs> <laughs> and we need it right that's right <laughs> oh it's not really that awful but I, I i love i love a good rom-com i love i love well just we all love stories uh you know, you know the simple ones are the more complex ones but truthfully what i really wanted to start with when i was doing my research uh just taking a look around seeing what i could find what i could dig up Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> i had uh I, I found uh, some some interesting uh, pictures of just this super cute, adorable little pooch. Thank you. His name is Ned, and he's my entire world. <laughs> I, I, I love that. Just every time, every picture that you got of him, he's looking at the camera, and it's like, is this fine? Am I fine? Is this good? <laughs> he's trying to be an actor, too. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I do it all day. <laughs> no, I, I kid, but I, every time I see that the animal, that's that's one thing that can make all of our days just a little brighter. Our friends with fur. Yeah, uh, he does. So okay, so really, the first question I really wanted to start with um, was: I saw that you at one point lived in London. Is that like London, Ohio, or actually London, England? Actually, London, England. I lived across the pond for Ooh. almost four years. Um, I moved there when I was 10 years old and I came back when I was 13. And then I loved it so much that I studied abroad again in London, because why would I go anywhere else uh, for about four months? <laughs> that sounds awesome. So for those of us that maybe aren't quite so traveled, what is it? What is it like for a, a young person in a completely foreign foreign territory? Well, I guess it's not completely foreign. You can speak to people, and they basically understand you, and vice versa. But, 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 what is it like to be in that kind of kind of out of your element environment? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, when my dad told us we were moving, I was absolutely livid because, like, I had so many friends, and my family was here, and like being. A 10-year-old moving, you lose your entire community because, like, your friends are your people at that point. So, like, uprooting, um, it was jarring at first, but I have some lifelong friends from there now that I don't think I ever would have, you know, met otherwise. And, like, being in a, we were in an international school, um, so I met so many different people and so many cool cultures and religions and things that I very much in my, like, Long Island bubble would have never come across before. But it was definitely a learning curve and, like, heavily relied on my parents for their support at that time because I was like, I don't have anybody else. <laughs> that makes sense. With two such extensive periods in a different cultural environment, did you pick up any habits that stayed with you? Oh, yeah. My most annoying one is I throw in the letter U where it doesn't belong a lot. Like, color doesn't have a U over here, but it does over there. Um, and then there are some, like, language-isms that I would forget when I would go back and forth. Like, because we would. We'd come back for holidays and, like, see our family here. Um, and you don't say, like, 
pants, you know, like people wear pants, right? like you should, over there, that's underwear. So if you say like, oh, I forgot my pants for the day, people look at you like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, no, I just forgot to change my gym clothes. Like, ah, God. (laughs) That's too much fun. But no beans for breakfast. You didn't, you didn't keep that one. No, that the texture was not not in there for me. <laughs> I tried. Yeah. I really tried. Yeah, I, I I couldn't do that one either. Um, now, was any of this studying to do with acting? I mean, you seem to have been involved with acting most of your life. How did that all get started? That it actually did start in the UK, but that's not why we moved. We moved. Um, my dad's an was an accountant for KPMG, and we just moved there for we were told three to five years. Um, and I was a dancer, like my whole life, I wanted to be a rocket and like, that was my trajectory. Um, and then I was in London, I was taking dance class and at the school I was studying at, they had an acting improv class too, which one of my friends was in and like, they let me sample the class. Um, after the class, the teacher came over to my parents and was like, she's really good. And my parents were like, she's 10 and she's playing pretend. Like, of course she's really good. (laughs) He was like, no, she's like really, really good. Um, And it was kind of crazy. Like within six months of that conversation, I had my first agent and booked my first TV job, like back to back, which was insane. Um, So I very much fell in love with the craft while doing it. And then my parents were like, we moved back to the US permanently. And they were like, yeah, you're going to school like a normal child and we're not doing this whole, you know, teen Nickelodeon star thing. It's not happening for you. <laughs> well, you know, there's the potential upside. I mean, there are certain psychological dispositions that can creep in when you are, are immersed in that environment from the very beginning. And some maybe maybe it's a good thing. Hindsight, such a good thing. <laughs> 16-year-old me, really upset. <laughs> I'm not I'm not rich and famous right now. Why not, Mom? Because of you. And now I'm like, oh, thanks. I'm a well-rounded human. Thank you. <laughs> now, is that kind of why you went with the educational trajectory that you did, uh, with both understudy and the, and the master's program in acting? Um, what kind of... What kind of difference did you get? I mean, you got you had the experience that you were exposed to in London, but it's, it's an entirely different animal when you get into the university and their ideas of what is going to be applicable. Uh, <laughs> what was that kind of like? Yeah. Um, I So I went to undergrad and I double majored in theater and elementary education. Because my father's an accountant, like I said, and, you know, practical versus the dream. Um, And I was fortunate enough to get uh, into grad school right out of undergrad for acting, um, which apparently, like, doesn't happen all that often. And I was like, okay, we're going to jump at this opportunity and just be in debt for the rest of my life. Um, But... I really enjoyed my grad program. I What I liked about it is, like, there wasn't a method. Like, we didn't just do Meisner or Stanislavski or uh, method acting. It was kind of just, like, a sampling of all of the teachers' histories and backstories. Um, and we, 
fortunately, like, we were at Columbia at an amazing time. Like, I got to work with Andre Serban on the Seagull, which, like, he's known for his checkoff stuff. And, like, to be his Nina in my thesis was just, like, oh, my God, <laughs> incredible. Um it was definitely harder to go from when I moved back here, um, going from like the middle school environment in the UK to the middle school environment of New Jersey. We moved to Jersey when we came back because kids are mean, yes. um, <laughs> especially Jersey kids. Jersey kids are awful. I mean, I love my friends, um, but <laughs> it was that was like the most jarring educational transition i've always loved school so like i love being in a class and i love learning and um i think columbia felt right even like at callback weekend i was like i want to be here um yeah it's kind of kismet and is that kind of uh with the educational side i mean you do you do teaching right now is that kind of is it one of those things that at the time so i was like well do i really need to learn teaching uh, or, you know, it's one of those things I already know. I know I love this enough. I want to spread this to as many people as I possibly can. Yeah. I mean, growing up, I had good teachers and I had really bad teachers. And I don't think it was until I studied like education formally that I was like, oh, I have a teaching philosophy. And I, the only reason I didn't go into the public education field is because I, I witnessed like a third grader have a breakdown about a standardized test and I was like whoa this isn't it like for me school was fun and I loved it and like I don't want to teach math but like I do like working with young people and I like being that person who sometimes these kids don't have like a positive role model in the field or their parents are like how do we help them we have no idea we're so lost and like those were my parents too but they just helped support my dream and I want to be that person to be like, here's how we get there. Um, and I, I like the age range of like 10 to 17 ish is like kind of my sweet spot, a little younger. And they're like, you can't read yet. So learning a script is like impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've always wondered about that. Anytime I see any production that includes a, a much younger child, it just boggles my mind. The amount of work that must have to go into making that just gel because even with with a full-grown adult, there's going to be multiple takes, a lot of practice, whatever. And with a kid, oh, I just, I just, I see chaos, a uh, cloud of lightning, and just mm. there really there can be, especially <laughs> like the younger ages. And then it's just like I'm not an extremely patient person, but working with children has made me more so. And it's like you just have to. Yes, it's okay for them to burst into tears because you know, something didn't go right that day. And like, that's just okay. I want to do that. I wish I could do that and it'd be socially acceptable, but it's not. So. That's, well, it's just as well because then you can push it down and leave it for later access when you need to get that, that tear going for the very emotional scene that you're going to be in. Exactly. <laughs> My therapist is employed because of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So now what a lot of... Um, well, a lot of people that aren't in the industry often don't don't you know realize because they they're not in a position to to see it is the level of competitiveness and the amount of work that goes into just being seen for whatever part that you're trying to get and what you're trying to do and a lot of people kind of branch out to try and uh, list either real or imagined skills that might 
make them just be a little more noticeable. Now, one of the things that I noticed on your listed skills is that you, it says that you're a musician. Now, now is that like vocal? Is that an instrument? Do you play something? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, used to. I sing kind of, sort of. Like, you know, we take lessons here and there. Um, and as a kid, I played the piano, violin, and guitar. So I'd have to like because I live in an apartment in Brooklyn, I don't have any of those instruments here anymore. So it's definitely like a, uh, if asked, I would need to like know in advance because I'd have to refresh the skills. Um, But my grandfather was a musician. So I like studied music with him uh, when I was a kid and like that cultivated a love of it too. Is that the gentleman you have the collage of images in front of keyboard on your Instagram? Yes. Yeah. He passed away a few years ago and he is my, He's my role model. He's my hero and like my mentor in in every way. And I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't miss him. Um, And he was always just the person like creatively to I could pick up the phone and be like, hey, grandpa. And he could tell in the sound of my voice if like something went well or something didn't that day. So he just like totally got the world I was living in. Yeah, that's that that's always something special. Anytime you can have. Uh, somebody in your family that can share that kind of little glimpse of 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 art that may sometimes be hidden. Uh, yeah. My father, on the other hand, his 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 art was in his guitar, and I think the closest he ever got to being noticed. So I think he got a song on Bob and Tom at one point, but <laughs> <laughs> still, I always appreciated his efforts. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, so okay, so. Talking about the teaching of the skill. Yeah. Again, kind of being on this side of the glass, when we just see the finished product and not the work that goes into creating it, as a teacher, what do you think is the 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 hardest skill or hardest behavior that you have to instill in somebody that you're teaching this to? That's a great question. Um, I would say, especially with the younger folks, it's the level of professionalism that you have to carry as an individual. I think a lot of the kids get into this because it's fun and they want to be famous or they see a kid on TV that's fun and spunky and they can they can do that, which they can. Um, but it's also a business and you are the CEO of your own business, even at that age. Um, I was teaching earlier today and you know, one of my students was pacing around in the back of the room and it was like, you can't do that on set because like if cameras are rolling and you were doing that, you're either getting fired or you're getting told to sit down. Like you're not, that's not okay. And they were like, yeah, but my legs just fell asleep, which like, yes. Right. Like you're 10, of course. That's. (laughs) But like to realize that you at such a young age have to have full ownership of what this instrument is, is such a challenge. And I have to constantly, it, that is kind of the thing that I'm always pushing because they, they know to memorize their lines and they know to not look in the camera. Like they know the technique in that way, but they don't know. They just like rely on mom and dad to be the professionals. And it's like, nope, on set, it is you. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. That's That's got to be a bit of a shock. How how often does it does it sink in early? Does it does it do they take the advice or or do you have more often that's like I, I don't understand? I think I get 
I get more of the I don't understand until they book their first job and then they come back after that experience and they're like, oh, my God, you were right. Like everything is moving so fast and there are so many other things outside of my performance that like I just have to be ready to go. Um, And then like the other thing they all learn, which I tell them, too, is like they're long days. Like, yeah, it's fun. But like you're sitting around for a while is they're like, yeah, I didn't realize how bored I was going to (laughs) be. It's like, yeah, you you read a book for four hours and film for 20 minutes. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Hurry up and wait. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and, and that's, and obviously it's different between television and film and, and the stage. Um, now you've had experience at both and they're, they're very different animals. Obviously, what is your favorite part in performing and the, and the creation process, both, with the stage and with more recorded media. Yeah. Um, I love diving, stepping into the shoes of another person, uh, another character to take a walk in a life that I may not live. Um, Like what I loved, I was on a couple episodes of Blue Bloods and I would not be a cop. Like, my God, no one should trust me with a weapon at all. Um, But like... (laughs) That was really cool to be like, okay, what did this person have to do to get through, you know, to this stage? And yes, I was a tech, but they carry guns on them too. So there is a training there. Um, And then same with like Townhouse Confidential. It was like, I wouldn't kill to own a townhouse in the West Village. Are we joking? But like, that's also not my life. So to like take a walk in that person's shoes um, and dive really deep into these characters to figure out what makes people tick. Because that I think then translates into telling interesting stories about these folks. Definitely. Um, is there a aspect to the production process that surprised you when you got into the industry that you just like, I didn't even think that this had to be something that we thought about. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, I think the attention to, continuity was a thing I learned about really young um, because my first like TV show was a a kid's cooking show in the UK. Um, So there were takes where like they'd have us eat the thing we're making and we'd eat it and then they'd bring out another one. And I'm like, where did that other one come from? Like you just have a box of these things. Like I don't understand. And they had a full prep kitchen, just like making sure we had enough for as many takes as we had. That's never anything I thought about. Or I was like, why does it matter? And they were like, because if we're showing this at the beginning, you can't have already had five bites out of it. It's like, (laughs) sure. Yeah. But like that's then translated into my adult life of like, oh, I have to hit my mark the same every time because they're relying on me. (laughs) Oh, I got to ask. I got to ask this about the cooking show, especially (laughs) since you were you were young at the time. So. I mean, sure, you're going to have professionals making the food, but we can't control what we like when we taste something. Have you ever, did you have something where it's like, okay, we're, and just have to completely trash whatever take it was and then really lay into your acting skills? This was delicious. Yes. As a kid, I was a very picky eater. I'm not so much anymore, but I was extremely, extremely picky. I really only ate like mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and pasta with butter. Like that was my meal. I didn't even like pizza. Like we were a weird kid. Um, 
there was one, it was like a vegetable medley type thing, and they seasoned it with like garlic and turmeric. It was just like way too much stuff going on for my child brain. And I don't know if it didn't taste good or if it was just one of those where I was like, I have no idea what I'm eating and this feels awful. <laughs> um, and I did kind of what you said of like, I swallowed it with a grimace smile on my face and was like, that was really good, Captain Cook. And then moved <laughs> <it> out. <laughs> Uh, I, I sometimes I I know they must be prepared for this, but whoever it is that prepares this, sometimes I just kind of want to see one of those productions and then look over at the face and see that just sinking feeling. It's like oh, that this did not go well. No, why <laughs> I never want to be a judge on a food show. Never. <laughs> yeah, they work so hard. It's just no, uh, give me a cracker. I'd rather have a cracker than what you just gave me. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Okay, so that's that's more of the recorded nature, but I also saw you have an extensive stage background. I love, I love live theater, just just to pieces. Um, do you have a stage performance that is that is either your favorite or just something that sticks in your mind that you've been a part of? Yeah, um, two productions come to mind. Um, my senior show—they're actually both senior shows. Um, it was my senior show from undergrad. We did Miss Julie. Um, and I was fortunate enough to play Miss Julie. Um, but my director of that show was just so incredible in terms of he had such a clear vision and such a clear world created that playing these characters in this world was second nature because like from day one, it was just like, this is, these are the rules that these characters operate in. Um, and then the other one was playing Nina in the seagull. Um, Andre changed the last scene a little bit because, you know, he could. <laughs> um, and he he had me say this, like, mantra to my classmates. Like, we were all graduating seniors, and um, Nina is the optimist and, like, continues to do it despite all the negative things that happens in her life. And it was just like, I am enough. I am not afraid. I will continue. And it was just like, even when now, when I'm like, oh, I had an awful day or that audition didn't go well or why haven't I booked something in a couple months? You know, like the negative self-talk that can happen. I just think back to like Nina in that moment of like, yeah, this is, I am that optimist and I am that person who loves this career. So it's it's nice to like have a play to be like, yeah, yeah, we did that. <laughs> so you can kind of take the the bits and pieces of these characters that are just, wonderful and they they stay with you i i got one of the two i i picked that one the other one i wasn't sure i thought it's like she might say desdemona and othello because i mean it's 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 othello how could you not love othello no that was a good that was a good show too it was we did a uh it had like a lot of movement in it as well which was like a lot of fun yeah that's that's always been one of my favorite productions whenever thinking back to something like that you know everybody always goes to the the the, the mainstays so like, oh, the romeo and juliet and hamlet and it's like yeah those are great but <laughs> if i'm gonna pick that's not what i'm gonna pick yeah. uh, so when you're on stage do you prefer to perform more classical theater or more contemporary stuff Ooh, that's a good question um, I, these days have preferred the contemporary, um, just because I sometimes feel like with 
the classical text. It's not the text itself. The text is incredible and the characters are clear and all of that. Um, I find that sometimes concepts are like putting a hat on a hat in some regards. Like my college did a production of, um, what's it called? The Tempest. And like some of the costume design, I was just like, okay, this person looks like they're from the Music Man, but Miranda looks like she's Jasmine and we're on a seashell? Like, I don't know what's happening. Um, <laughs> so I just, like, sometimes I feel like the ideas are just like, yeah, we're going to do Shakespeare reimagined like this. And I'm like, I am just want to do Shakespeare. <laughs> like, I feel like the words lose their meaning uh, when you do things like that. But some contemporary stories are also like, I don't see myself in all of those stories. Um, just the way that they're written and the stories that are being told. It's it's finding your voice within those stories, too. We're going to be performing Jackson Pollock's uh, The Tempest. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, okay, let's uh, move in a little into the more contemporary side of things. You talked a little bit about Blue Bloods uh, a minute ago, and that's that's a show that's had some really huge staying power. It's been around for a long time. Um, and you got to be in several episodes, so you got a character that had some chances to interact and do some stuff. What 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 was some of the best things that you took from that, or maybe or maybe a better question is, did since you're supposed to be a tech person, did you have a line of techno babble that you were given at one point where you just kind of like, really, I have no idea what what's going on. <laughs> Yes. Um, it, there's an, an episode where I'm sitting primarily at the computer and I'm trying to get uh, Donnie Wahlberg's attention of like, come over here. I found it. I figured it out. Solved. Um, and he finally comes over and they it was a, just like the jargon of that line was mostly names. It was like this person was searching this person on this day and this time. And it was like, I'm going to mess up someone's first and last name because it's going to happen. Um, but then I had a, a prop computer and they were like, okay, you can only hit certain keys because like, otherwise the computer's going to do something. Right. I hit a key I wasn't supposed to hit and we had to scrap the take because I audibly was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> everyone laughed. Cause it was like my fourth or fifth episode at that time. Oh, we're like, awesome. oh, she knows what she's doing, but I just like hit it. And I, I, I apologized immediately. I was like, if I broke it, I'll pay for it. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know i you know working with donnie Wahlberg is probably pretty fun but also i mean for the age that i am which i will not go over at this moment <laughs> but, but when i was growing up uh there was a certain uh very hairy gentleman uh, that was always just kind of in hawaiian shirts and swim trunks as a as a, a raconteur and a private investigator so just having Selleck in a production that you're involved with, he's like a walking, I don't want to say historical monument because that sounds awful, but he's he's been involved in just a ton of stuff. What was it like being on the same set as somebody that's just got that kind of experience? Oh, it was incredible. And I met him once. Um, and I don't normally get, there's like some celebrities that I get a little like, oh, okay. Um, and he was one because he like, He's one huge. He's way taller in person than I thought he was going to be. I'm so confident, just like a stoic. That's why when you were like monument, I was like, no, that kind of makes sense. Like, that's the presence he had. Uh, and he was like, I really like your work on this season. And I went, 
thanks, you too. And then looked at him and went, fuck. <laughs> I, I messed that up, you know? And the whole rest of the day, I was like, I screwed up. I said the wrong thing to Tom Selleck. But, oh. like, he laughed and just, like, went, you know, I'm sure he's used to it. Because I, I, you know, wasn't, like, fangirling. It was just one of those moments of, like, I don't know how to respond to you. <laughs> but still, when you reach a certain level of of just success in history, that's got to be something that follows you around. Totally. So that let's fold that back around. Let's say that we're, we're uh, X years down the road and you've been part of this kind of massive series of hits of movies and this whole thing. How would you deal with being on the other side of that? Oh, I think, and one of my PAs told me this on Blue Bloods, she was like, I always said thank you. Like, I was always the person to be like, thank you so much, you know, every for everything that they did. Um, and she was like, I hope you never lose that. Like, I hope you always stay gracious. And I was like, you know, I think I will. Um, and my students sometimes do it now. Like, they went to go see, a bunch of them went to go see the movie. And they were like, can we have your autograph? Can we take your picture? And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you've known me for years. Sure. But, like, it's cute. Um uh, I just hope to be, you know, as generous with the celebrities that I've interacted with as they were with me, because they really, I don't know, I feel like I'm always so bummed when I find out that, like, someone I love watching on camera is, like, mean, and yeah. I don't think it takes so much more energy to be mean than it does to be kind, so I'd like to be kind and gracious at all times. <laughs> I, I like that. Uh, that's kind of my motto, too. Uh, so... Have you run into, I mean, you've, you've had formal training, but have you run into anybody in the industry that's, you know, kind of helped? It's like, here's some pointers. Let me take you under my wing and I'm going to show you just a little bit of what's going on. Have you had that kind of experience? Yeah. Um, my teacher in undergrad, his name is Peter Campbell, and he's still like one of my, you know, biggest fans and mentor and and everything. Um, when I was auditioning for grad school, I wasn't even looking at Columbia. Um, I was looking like Yale, Juilliard, or bust, pretty much. Um, and he was like, I think you should go here. And I was like, okay. Um, looked into the program and was like, oh, actually, this does feel like a good fit. And every time since then that I've been like, Peter, I don't know what to do about this. I don't, you know, I have a question. This doesn't feel right. This, I'm lost here he's the first person to jump on the phone with me and be like, okay, this is how I would handle the situation or here's how to navigate it. Um, and I now work at a really awesome place. Uh, I work at Matt Newton acting studio or MN acting studio. Um, and Matt is a wealth of knowledge as are all of my colleagues. Um, and it's, I feel like now is the first time as an almost 30 year old woman uh, that I have female mentors and like people that I respect their opinion because a lot of the times I felt like it's at least a lot of my professors were were men so it's like nice to have two really really strong successful women um at my workplace that I can turn to yeah that makes sense you always want to see you always want to have kind of a, a little a, a reflection that 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 just gives you a commonality and it's just always boosting so it's it's, it's awesome to be able to see just the uh, the amount of different perspectives that you can that you can get i i 
I, that's one of my favorite things. Anything that can rock me out of the stuff that I already know, because I, I know yeah. my experience. I, I don't care about that. I want to know somebody else's experience because that's, that's the good stuff. Really? Um, so, all right. No, I, I've got, I got one for you. I got one for you. <laughs> so talk to just thought of this with the, the whole Magnum PI thing. There, there've been so many awesome shows over the years. And I know you had to have had your favorites or your favorite films. If you had the magic power to insert yourself into a television show at any point in the past or a, a movie, what would you put yourself in? Uh, the good place. I would love to be on the good place. Um, I think Eleanor Shellstrop and whoever my character would be, would be the best of friends. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to be the best of friends. Just using that as an example. Uh, I love that show. It's a top 10 all time for me. They had Same. the chemistry and the writing and everything on that was just phenomenal. Uh, oh, just... so good. Anytime I'm like, I don't know what to watch. I just I'm like, well, there's always the good place. <laughs> Plus philosophy. Who does? Well, everybody hates philosophy, but <laughs> it feels like it sometimes. Um, okay. Okay. So I had another question about a specific production that you that I saw that you were involved with and, and looked like in the producer side of things uh, yeah. called You Follow Me. Um, that idea seemed really intriguing, especially considering it's it deals with topics that aren't that haven't really been well covered by a lot of other other media. I was hoping you could maybe tell me a little bit about that and what it's about and kind of what drew you to it. Absolutely. Um, so I have had a bit of a, a extensive health journey. Um, when I was 18, I lost mobility in a couple of my fingers. Um, they were so swollen and like went to the doctor and the doctor was like, you have to go to a rheumatologist immediately. Um, so I found out that I had rheumatoid arthritis, but it took like a really long time to peg down my full diagnosis because no medicines were helping me at all. Um, and it wasn't until I was 25 that it was a combination of rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, and Lyme's disease, which triggered the other two. Um, that helped make this little cluster. And I always felt like, you know, I would tell, I would tell people I have to cancel plans because I wasn't feeling well. And they'd be like, but you look fine. And it's like, yes, but I'm exhausted. My joints are swelling. I can't focus. And like, I just have to go lay down. <laughs> um, but on the outside, I look fine. So I was talking to a friend of mine and was like, I feel like I have an invisible friend that's following me around, but is like causing more harm than good, but it's just a part of who I am. And like, you know, as I've gotten older, it's, it's just become more and more a part of who I am and not like an identity thing. Um, so I was talking to a, a writer friend and I was like, I love the big mouth cartoon. Like I'm obsessed with it. And I want to create a story that talks about autoimmune diseases and invisible illness because it's not talked about, um, that is light and and funny and relatable, even to people who aren't sick with it, um, to be like, oh my God, I, yes, like this is hilarious. And, and also I didn't know that 
I think it's the statistic is like 1.3 million Americans live with an autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's, that's a lot of people. Like you don't know what the person next door is dealing with. Um, but I never wanted it to be like, Oh, woe is me. I'm dealing with all these health complications because you can go in that route. And I was like, no, I used to joke with my boyfriend all the time. I'd wake up and I'd be like, I look like the crypt keeper today. Cause like, this is how I woke up. Uh, <laughs> and that's my coping skill to like laugh through it all. Um, so I produced it and we shot a bit of a teaser. We have like up until what I'd say is Netflix's first commercial break or whatever. Gotcha. Um, we've got our pitch deck. So like, if you want a fun show, just like, come talk to me. We'll sell it. <laughs> I just, like I said, I thought that sounded so interesting just because I, I know I've had friends that have dealt with similar issues to what, what you've dealt with. And I don't pretend to understand the experience and it just got me to think, it's like, well, how how do you explain this to other people in a way that it will it will resonate enough to actually stick and generate the the behavior responses that you're wanting to do? Have you had what have you had to do in your life to kind of get the people around you to just kind of go, Oh, well, this is what it is and this is how it should be dealt with. Yeah. I think I I'm I was always really good at being like no I'm fine I can handle it I I can do it until I would like be actually really sick or you know um physically exhausted and and not be able to do it but what I've gotten better at is just advocating for myself and asking for the help that I need when I need it um because a lot of the times like people haven't heard of or they hear rheumatoid arthritis and they're like okay so she has stiff fingers and it's like no and I mean, yes, but like, no, it's also chronic fatigue and it's it's other symptoms that I experience. My favorite answer I always get is you're really young for that. And it's like, I mean, there's juvenile arthritis, like kids can have it too. But uh, yeah, so it, it's I, I know I don't like to like patronize anyone or talk down to anyone because that's not how you get your message across. No. Uh, so it's always just like taking the time to be like, okay, yeah, this is actually what I'm feeling and this is what I need in order to feel better by tomorrow kind of thing. Uh, having that positive exposure in terms of, of, of fiction is probably a great avenue to, to get that across because what you're talking about with the response that you're young to have that, I feel like a lot of that is just a result of things that we've been exposed to. and it's, Some of it's personal, but most of it's like we – we experience the world through the screens that we watch. And so if the fiction only talks about arthritis in terms of those commercials that you see with the elderly individual that's dealing with it or the films, that then you just automatically associate it. And- totally. And people get so scared of it because because of like those, you know, commercials you see where it's like this medication that's supposed to change your life is also going to cause I don't know, everything but death, possibly. Right. And so possibly like, death, too. Possibly death, too. <laughs> and then, like, the most frustrating part was not having a diagnosis pegged down for, like, six or seven years. And I'm not unique in that mm. regard. Like, a lot of my friends in the community of the autoimmune world go through that. And it's yeah. like, yes, yeah, science is amazing and medicine is incredible. But we're also people and our bodies are weird and they do things that aren't predictable. So... Like, my big goal with it all is to just spark conversation around it and just have people be like, oh, I didn't think about it that way yeah. while laughing. 
that I like I like that I like that that works that works for me. Uh, now, <laughs> do you want it? Are you Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so all right. So from something that can be construed as 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 a little bit of a, a touchy subject and can sometimes be a little painful to something that is always a touchy subject and incredibly painful. We're going to move on to real estate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, the townhouse confidential. This was it, it feels like this was a, a passion project by the 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 person that created it. It was a novel first adapted into a screenplay. Were you aware of the original version before you were approached with or uh, before you saw the screenplay or were was it something that you kind of looked at after after the fact? Yeah, I was not aware during the casting process or up until like two weeks into shooting that it was a book first. I knew it was like based off of Pride and Prejudice and like that I had studied in school. Um, but I, I didn't know that like Townhouse Confidential was a novel. And then my mother's a librarian and she was like, I'm going to get you the book. So I was like, okay. Um, and by the time she got it to me, it was, we were done with filming. So I was like, okay, I'm actually glad to be reading this post <laughs> filming because it's, you know, every, like every book, things change. Right. Uh, they like fit the, the screen. So I was like, okay, I'm glad I didn't have this version of Liz. But within like the first couple of paragraphs, I was like, oh, this was kind of perfect because she's described as like having a nose ring and, you know, she's a little on the edgier side and she's quirky and it's like, yeah, yeah, they probably saw nose ring and were like, her. <laughs> <laughs> Just immediately. Well, this, yes. is, this, this was the only image I had at the time, but, you know, that works. Um, <laughs> were you a fan? A fan. Okay, let's try that again. Were you a <laughs> fan of the Jane Austen literature from, from back in the day, or was that one of those things? Because I know when I was in school, there were certain older bits of literature that I, that I just loved and others that it was like, trying to just dig through it just just to get to the end was it something that resonated with you or was it just yeah i'm aware of it but i'm fine it was the latter <laughs> i was like aware of it and fine especially because like i don't know i think um like a woman needing a man and like striving for that is kind of like a dated mentality and yeah. not how i was raised so it's you know even seeing it in classic stories like that i'm like why why are we still telling this story? <laughs> <laughs> it's the dresses. It's all. It's all about the outfits. They're fantastic. <laughs> well, if you need a, if you need a different take to maybe to maybe kind of get you past the the, the subject matter, there is a uh, a very fun uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies uh, by Seth oh. <laughs> Graham Smith. Hilarious! It's a it's a parody, but uh, very very fun stuff. And I found that I, I I probably shouldn't say this with a degree in English. You should know and appreciate. But I, I definitely preferred that to the. <laughs> to oh, the I will definitely check it out. We're a zombie mind right now. I'm watching The Last of Us, so <sighs> we'll we'll check it out. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so a lot of what this film, at least it seems, is is kind of about it's, it's not just about the characters that are the people it's the characters that are the places so it's it, it it uses a lot of iconic locations in new york as backdrops to what's going on 
Now, again, for those of us that don't travel much, that kind of an impact may be lost on us. So being from nearer and around that area, what was it like kind of being in those locations? What about those locations, you know, work for you and resonated for you? Yeah. Um, well, I think first with like the West Village itself, I, you know, grew up in and around the city minus my time in the UK and walking down those streets as a kid, there was a ton of envy of like, I, you have to be a millionaire to own one of these townhouses and, you know, how lucky they are. But stepping into Liz's shoes, it was like she inherited this house that's falling apart. And she's got that like little monologue in the bakery about how it's a, a hot mess and nothing works. And it's like, yeah, from the outside, that's what these people are dealing with. But on the inside, they have problems just like the rest of us do. Um, and then Magnolia held a bit of a special place. My sister's a, a pastry chef. Um, and she is a cake decorator and she's fantastic. Um, but she, when we were like doing the Magnolia scene, you know, we'd gone and tasted the cupcakes when she was in school and she was thinking about doing an internship there and everything. And, um, she was like, Sam, the, the icing is really hard. And I was like, no, it's not. It's just a little swirl. What are you talking about? It can't be that hard. They tried to teach me on filming day and I punctured a hole in one of the cupcakes. And I was like, yeah, my sister was right. This is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> like an appreciation for her craft while doing my craft in this iconic, you know, location that was, as Liz says, put on the map because of sex in the city. So <laughs> I, I, I feel like I'm fairly well versed with most television shows. I have to admit, I never watched that one. It just uh, never seemed like it was my demographic. <laughs> as much as I respect all of the individuals that, that worked on it, because they're all fantastic in, in terms of skill. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's going to be something that works for me. Uh, but, you know, that's the point. We all we can all have something that kind of that works for us. Um, now, this being a kind of a romantic comedy, yeah, I, I absolutely love rom-coms, whether they make any sense or not, whether they're kind of deep or 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 just more superficial, just because you know it's it's the element of love and finding love and that kind of a thing. But while I was thinking about that earlier today, it, it brought up a question. I don't I don't think I've asked anybody about this before. When you're trying to get the audience to connect with not just the the characters that you're playing but the budding relationships that are part of this interaction, I kind of wondered what, what does it take to kind of emote that sense of intimacy? Because the whole point of intimacy is it's just, it's just you and this other person, and that's not something that's generally shared, but you have to get that to be realistically... Um, yeah, understood and appreciated by the viewer. How do you make that happen from a writing from an acting standpoint? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think for me, it's it, it's creating these relationships in a way that is real. Um, because, like you know, I've I've been in a long term relationship, and my partner and I get along. You know, like ninety eight percent of the time. But then we have those those little those little fights, and they're natural. And we see Liz and George go through 
I'd say what feels like in what, you know, would standard timeline be like a year long relationship in like two and a half weeks. They go from meeting and hating each other to getting married in no time flat. Spoiler. So sorry. Um, (laughs) But it's 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 just creating those moments that don't feel like, oh, I have to love him from the get go, because that's not how a real relationship is. Um you learn the quirks about the other person. You learn what makes them tick. You learn what makes them laugh. You learn what buttons to push. Um, and I loved doing that with, you know, with Lee throughout this entire process. We, our first day was like the fall in love scene, like by the fireplace and everything. Um, and we had maybe spent four or five hours together at that point. So a lot of it was like getting to know each other in real time as these characters are getting to know each other. Um, so it was, it was just kind of amazing to just be like, okay, I'm just going to listen to you and feel how I'm feeling naturally. If you make me laugh, great. If you make me want to punch me in the face, also great. Because that is, that is the nature of falling in love. Right. So part of this creation, you have to, as, as creating the intimacy, you have to be intimate with the other, even if it's just uh, a kiss or whatever. I've always kind of wondered because in the acting that I've done, I've never had to deal with that side of it. I, I, you, I was lucky enough to play mostly villainous individuals and <laughs> they never get kissed. Uh, so or at least not, not, that was my experience. But when you're in a real relationship outside of the, the element of acting, how does, how do you approach that with your significant others? Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to get a little, at least going to look like I'm getting, you know, a hot and heavy with this individual. How, how do you approach that conversation? Yeah, it's been different for each relationship that I've been in. Um, my current partner, we're both actors. So it's like a really easy, you know, hey, this is just like what my day looks like. Um, and he was funny. My first like kiss scene with Lee, he came, I came in the door and he's just like, Who's the better kisser? And I was like, ah, you. But, <laughs> like, you know, it was it was funny. And, like, we can we can laugh it off and we both had to do it. So it's like, you know, we know we didn't trust one another. Um, but I've also dated people who are not in the creative world. Um, in high school, that was a lot. There was a lot of jealousy from my partner at that time. Uh, in college, my partner was supportive, but didn't fully understand like why it would have to happen. And um, I would just explain like, look, while I am me and we are dating, I am playing this other person and they are dating this person. And, you know, you can't simulate, you can fake, you can't fake it. Cause right. like the camera sees it. If you are on stage, it's a little easier, right? Like some of the kisses on stage are just like big and dramatic and you're like, sure, whatever. <laughs> but on, on screen, if you're lying, we know, we know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, th- those were definitely harder relationships to be a part of because I felt not trusted like as a person. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to come home to you. I promise. <laughs> yeah. That's just, that, that always occurred to me as a, a potential, just a, 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 the potential for a problem. Not necessarily. It doesn't have to be one, but uh, it's just in, in telling the story, you, you can't leave things out that are, that are going to be the things that, that are people are looking for. So you're talking about being this other character. And, you know, obviously that's going to be the the case with any particular role that you take. How much 
of you and Liz are similar? What do you think is is a feature that you both share, and what is something that you're just drastically different about? <laughs> yeah, I think I, Liz and I are similar in the sense that I will stand up for what I believe in. Um, like Liz fights for her house till the end. Um, she doesn't waver in wanting to get rid of it, and she's pretty stubborn in you know her approach. And she's also a family person. Like she is the head of the household, not by choice, but she is now the head of this household and takes care of her two sisters. And I have a younger sister and, you know, like I do all of, I do all of that. Um, and she sacrifices a lot. Like, I don't think because it's a rom-com, like her grief and her sacrifice isn't talked about, but it's there. (laughs) Um, where we differ, I don't know a damn thing about cornices and lintels and dormer windows. I had to look up what all of those were because I, don't know. <laughs> I'm not an architecture person. Um, yeah. And then her, she, they have a conversation, her and her best friend of like, like, you want domestic bliss. You want to be married with kids. And, and, you know, for me, I'm kind of more like Charlotte, where it's like, I just want a partner who loves me and, you know, takes care of that aspect of it. I don't necessarily need the ring and, you know, 5.6 children. I just want to be happy with who I'm, I'm with. Um, so I think that's mine and Liz's biggest, <laughs> biggest difference. I like it. I like it. So, all right. Comparing, I don't want to call it a comparative study because that implies a lot more uh, digging than this really is. But if you had to compare townhouse confidential to a similar romantic comedy what would you compare it to hmm that is a good question uh, you know i might be stumped on that one <laughs> Woo! i don't know maybe it's because i don't watch a whole lot of them oh. yeah i'm not i'm not sure <laughs> Well, I, that's, that's as good as answer as, as any. Are you more of an action and uh, horror kind of person? Yes. Horror is probably my favorite genre. Uh, if I'm watching TV or film with my dad, someone has to die within the first five minutes or he turns it off. Ah. Um, and then I love a good comedy. Uh, like, not necessarily romantic, but I like, I'm a big, like, Ben Stiller, Adam Sandler. Um, yeah, like those types of fan. Yeah. So, we'll <laughs> I like it. That's good stuff. Um, okay. Well, how about this? Uh, thinking in the action beat 'em up kind of thing. You know, a lot of what our um, a lot of what our podcast deals with is pop culture, and specifically the intersection of television, films, and sources that were originally comic strips and comic books. So we talk about comic book movies a lot. Are you a comic book movie or a comic book person at all? Not really, but I've seen all, probably all the movies that the comic books are based on. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, then let's let's try a, a challenge. This may be a challenging question. I, I like to ask everybody that I talk to, since I am just a huge comic book geek, if they had a, a chance to play any comic book character in a TV show or a movie, who would you choose? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I... I mean, my favorite superhero is Spider-Man. I would love to play a female version of Spider-Man. Um, Gwen Stacy. Bring it on. 
bring it up. <laughs> I started taking jujitsu classes, so like I'm ready. <laughs> Ooh, which version? Brazilian? Japanese? Uh, it's Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. So Brazilian. I think it's, yeah, Brazilian. Nice. Sorry, I like combat too. <laughs> but uh so all right so i will tell you this if you ever get the chance i that i always go from the other side see so what would you like to play i looking at your at your uh at your photo and some of the work that you've done if i had to place you if you ever get a chance to they've only done one film with this character in it and it was it was messed up from the beginning. It wasn't anyone's. There, there are a lot of things that that I don't blame any of the actors. I don't even blame the director. I, I'm blaming the studio on it. But there was a, a New Mutants film that came out a while back. But the, one of the characters in it is uh, is uh, Renee Sinclair by the name of Wolvesbane, and so kind of like a, a werewolf. So you could have both horror and comic books kind of all at the same time. Get a chance to play that, get in the X universe. You know that's coming up. You know, Feige has got that plan 10, 20 years down the road. Yes, manifest that for me from that's your right. lips to the universe's ears. I'm ready. I, I like <laughs> it. I like it. All right. Well, we'll end on something simple then. Uh, yeah, as we are called, everybody loves pudding. Uh, one of the things that binds us all together is food. and We love food. Um, so pizza is often a big thing and you being around the New York city area, I was going to ask you what type of pizza person are you? Are you a pizza person? I know you weren't at 10, but if you were to be asked to get pizza now, where would you go? What is your slice? Ooh, Ooh, that's a good question. So I have good and bad news. I have become a pizza person as I've gotten older, but with my health, I had to give up gluten and dairy. Oh no! So I I miss I miss pizza. I have Daya, which is like a gluten free, dairy free, doesn't melt bleh, pizza. <laughs> um, but when I could eat pizza, my favorite is just a classic Sicilian slice with fresh basil on it. Ooh, I love the square shape and like thick, chewy kind of pizza. Um, that was. That was my go-to anytime I'd order. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I want to thank you so much for your time, and I want to impress upon our listeners, take a chance, uh, take a look at Townhouse Confidential. It is on multiple avenues to be able to watch in terms of streaming. Uh, it is it is fun. It is light. Uh, and I, I, I think that you will enjoy not only the film, but you'll learn some things about <laughs> about the real estate industry uh, through the perspective of 18th century literature. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, yeah, thank you again. And, oh, I almost forgot. How could I forget? If our listeners would love to follow you, want to know what you're doing next, what social media, how do we pay attention to Samantha Simone? Yeah, great question. Um, I have Facebook. It's Sam Simone, I think. And then my Instagram is Sammy, S-A-M-I-S-I-M-S, 21. Think I'm like a DJ? Sammy Sims. That's me. Um, and then I have a website. It's SamanthaNicoleSimone.com. But we don't TikTok because we turn in 30 and that's that's too much. <laughs> Even when I was young, I couldn't. There's no, there is no dancing. Uh, nope. Full Phil Collins. Uh, full Phil Collins had that song. Uh, I don't dance. <sighs> but thank you again, and uh, we will see you next week, listeners. 